Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. All right, guys, welcome to episode 29 of the Tactical Yanks pod. I'm Pete Douthit, co-host of the show, and I'm here with Filippo Silva of Tactical Manager TV, also co-host of the show, man. How you doing? Doing great. And we're reaching also Group C now, right? We're reaching Group, group C. C. It's a fun one. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, one thing I miss here in the podcast is we haven't talked about club soccer in a while, European club soccer. Um did you watch any games this weekend? Oh, of course you did. I mean, of course, all the ones that Americans participated in. Then I watched El Clasico. Oh, I wasn't able of. to fully. I only watched the first half of El Clasico. And I was watching the Ballon d'Or today a little bit. But it's sort of, I think it was fair that Karim Benzema won it. But overall, I don't have many thoughts on that because it just became a marketing tool at this point. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's more interesting. He won the Champions League. He was their top scorer. If it's not a, a tournament year, like there's no Copa America, there's no World Cup or Euros, then it just makes sense for the Champions League winner's best player to win it. And I think that's fair. Yeah, before we even start the group, one thing that I wanted to... There, there's two things that I wanted to talk about. The two, maybe three main leagues that we watch, like the Bundesliga, Premier League, and Serie A. I don't want to talk about the Serie A right now, but in the Premier League, it looks like Arsenal are a legit contender. Uh, yeah. They they barely beat Leeds, right? Our boys from Leeds United. They barely beat them. Leeds outplayed them in the second half quite a bit. But Arsenal now are four points clear. There's going to be a break for the World Cup for them to rest, readjust some of the players, right? A lot of them are going to be in the World Cup. But... Do you think Arsenal could win this Premier League? Because I still think Manchester Man City is going to win this. I think they can win the Premier League, but I think it's unlikely. Like, I think it's possible. The thing about that win over Leeds, and this is the, the, like the hallmark of championship teams, you're not going to play well for 38 games, right? You're just not. Mm-hmm. So the games that you don't play well, if you can still find a way to get a result, even when you just look like shit, which they did, honestly, that's the sign of a championship team, Right. You see, like, remember Manchester United in the past when they won all those trophies? All those the boring, they call them the boring but efficient uh, Man United from Sir Alex, right? The boring but efficient. Yeah, or even Jose Mourinho when he was at Chelsea. I know this is a while back now, but I always look at, like, okay, you're going to have games when you play poorly. Do you drop points when you play poorly, or do you still find a way to win? And in this case, they did. I mean, they got very lucky, let's be honest. Patrick Bamford scores that penalty. It's at least 1-1. You know, and they missed other chances, but they still collected the three points away from home on a bad day. So it's a good sign for sure. And then the other one is Union Berlin. They're leading the Bundesliga four points clear of Bayern. Now, that one, I think there's even lower odds of happening because I think Bayern Munich eventually will just catch up. And once Bayern catches up, it's over. Um, But quite impressive from Union Berlin so far. And I think it's not too far stretched or unreasonable to say that they'll probably fight for a Champions League spot. I don't see them having one of those Leicester runs, like Leicester had a couple seasons. No. A year, a, was it 2016, 2015? I can't remember right now. It was 20, yeah, it was 2016-17, I think. Yeah, the, the that Leicester team, which obviously after we saw so many players go to different clubs and show how good that team was actually was, um, like Conte, for example, and Maris. But... I don't see that happening to Union Berlin, but I can easily see them holding a top four spot, a very direct team. 
I even made yeah. a joke that there's no they, they hold no possession, so there's no foreplay with them. They go right to it. They don't care. They go right to yeah. score a goal. <laughs> yeah, they do. And uh, uh, it'd be interesting if I think they can get top four. Dortmund looks very worrying to me. Like they just can't get it together for any reason. You know, they'll look fine one week and then terrible the next week. And then Pete, the last one here is the Serie A. Uh, and this one I'm not going to stay too much because I think this is the most balanced of the top five leagues. It's going to be outstanding of which team's going to win. But the main reason I brought up Napoli is to trans Napoli, sorry, the Serie A is to transition into the World Cup Group C. Why do I say that? Mm. Napoli leads the Serie A. They're looking good yep. in the Champions League. And the last time that Napoli was this good, Argentina won the World Cup. Napoli had Diego Armando Maradona, and he helped Argentina win, not helped, he carried Argentina in the 1986 World Cup in Mexico with the infamous Mano de Dios, or Hand of God. And we reached Group C of the World Cup. That has Argentina, Poland, Mexico, and Saudi Arabia. Well, what's even more interesting about that is two players in this group, two key players for their teams play on Napoli, right? You have Chucky Lozano from Mexico, and then you have uh, Piotr Zielinski from Poland. So something to think about. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, Simeone plays for Napoli. He might not be in the Argentina roster. I don't think he will be, but he's also playing for Napoli right now, uh, mm. the center forward. But I don't think he'll be there. We'll talk about. Why don't we talk about that now? Yeah. Argentina. They're always title contenders, it almost seems like, right? You, you start a World Cup, you look at Argentina's roster, and you're like, this is a title contender. But in my lifetime, and again, not that long, I wasn't around for the 80s and 90s, but the first World Cup I watched was 2002. It seems a little bit different this time. This Argentina side, they seem like legit contenders. Rather than a team that we just say they're contenders because they're super talented, this team actually looks like a team that's ready to win a world cup will they win it who the heck knows world cup is crazy but do you agree with me on that are these would you say that with brazil on paper and they could both lose but would you say brazil and argentina are the top two right now yeah i'd put france in there as well i know they haven't always looked very good and they might have some personnel issues but in terms of raw talent france looks like they're up there with brazil and argentina but yeah definitely one of the three Everybody else has weaknesses throughout their roster. Like if you look at Spain, they have weaknesses up top, even a little bit in defense, to be honest. Germany has weaknesses that they haven't figured out yet. If you look at Argentina, I can't really identify too many weaknesses on this team. You know, mm -hmm. And in terms of depth, the drop-off from their first 11 to their second 11 is not that big. You know, Yeah, I, I'm actually preparing a video just focused on Argentina, but I can make a few points that... I've studied this. I, I've watched them quite a bit, but I've been studying them a bit more lately to be a bit more professional with it. And it's quite interesting how they play. First, it's very fluid, right? Their their formation, they you see it very it's they they have a structure, you can see it, but you see this team playing sometimes in a 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3. It kind of alternates throughout the game. Yeah. And with Lionel Messi having a lot of freedom. And the main thing about this Argentina side that caught my attention last year, that's, this was the first time I noticed this, was Argentina never knew how to play without the ball against Brazil, right? They would always yeah. try to be ball dominant with Brazil. And to be fair, they always have the same amount of talent. So they, they can play against Brazil with the ball. They can play possession against Brazil and do just fine. 
But there is a bit of a talent gap between, in terms of technical ability. The Brazilian team is more technical. There's more like players that can hold possession, hold the ball a bit better, and be more efficient with it. But Argentina had no shame, and they no shame in the good way, <laughs> and they played Brazil in the 2021 Copa America in Brazil without the ball, and they beat Brazil 1-0. Brazil hasn't scored in Argentina the past three games. Can you think of any national team in the world that you can talk about and say, hey, can you hold Brazil scoreless for three straight matches? Can you? Is there any team that comes to your mind that can do that? It doesn't to me, especially because this Brazil team actually has firepower up top. Argentina did that. The Super Classico de las Americas, they defeated Brazil 1-0. They tied us 0-0 in Argentina in the World Cup qualifying, and then they beat us in Brazil. So that is something that should be alarming for Brazil fans, myself and many others, but it just amazes me how this team can do so, along with the fact that this team, unlike 2018, is not built to depend on Messi. He just adds value. That is the key right there. Yeah, they give him that free role, right? It's a 4-4-2, and he plays as the second striker, but he drops deep, he pushes wide. And the other thing about having that kind of flexibility within the team is it's very hard to scout. Right. Because if you're trying to plan against that team, what you'll typically do is you'll look for patterns of play. What are some of the patterns of play that they use frequently that we can plan to defend against? I've I haven't watched a ton of Argentina, but from the scouting that I have done, which is at least several games, I haven't noticed any overuse of a specific pattern of play. The only thing I could maybe say is, you know, Messi drops very deep, but you don't know when he's going to drop deep. You don't know if he's going to drop deep wide deep central, when he's going to hold his runs, when he's going to make runs, it's very fluid. And that's very hard to plan against a fluid team, you know, and not to mention everybody surrounding him is equally fluid as well. So the only thing you really know is Lautaro Martinez is going to be the number nine, but even he drops deep sometimes. He isn't like a target man nine. He'll pull wide and he'll overload wide areas as well. So it's very hard to play against. And we were talking about Argentina the other day and how they played Brazil this strategy that they use what was it called you called it rotational fouling um, rotational fouling explain, which it, is, explain it yeah let me explain anyone that doesn't know what rotational fouling is so for example brazil has neymar which is our main player and the guy you want to take out of the game right you don't want neymar to play but you can't break him or give him a red card so what argentina does is they'll get for example otamendi paredes and the paul and what they'll do is for like 10 to 15 minutes, DePaul will beat the living crap out of Neymar. Literally beat him up. Like they ripped his short in the fine. They just keep beating him up. Once the ref gives him a warning, he switches. And then Paredes starts beating the living crap out of Neymar. Once Paredes gets a warning or a yellow card, Otamendi starts to beat the living crap out. So Neymar never plays, right? Yeah. And they will do that to any team they face that has star power. Or For example, if they face the United States... I don't think they'll care too much about that, but I can totally see them beating the living crap out of Pulisic right away. Just beat him up. Yeah. He doesn't play. And they do that, and they know how to do it in a way that they don't get a red card. It's crazy. And people will see that in the World Cup. They will get pissed off, and Argentina will do it. Well, they'll also do it early, right? Because referees yeah. don't want to dish out red cards early. So they don't even want to dish out yellows too early, to be honest. I mean, defenders used to do this thing where in the first minute of the game, they would just completely body check the striker. Uh, and they wouldn't get a yellow because it's the first minute of the game. The ref would be like, all right, no more of that. But what they did was essentially they got into the striker's head and they made it clear to him that he's in for a rough day. So in some ways, it's kind of how they're, they're going to do it. 
Should we talk a little bit about the players and, and the possible lineup we're going to see? For yeah. Do you want me to go through roughly their, my predicted um, roster? Because I do have that. We can go through the roster. I, yeah. yeah, we can go through the roster, I guess. So very quickly, the goalkeepers are, are the three options are Martinez from Aston Villa, Ruli from Villarreal, and Armani from River Plate. Armani was their goalkeeper in 2018, but the, the starting goalkeeper, it'll be Martinez from Aston Villa. Yeah. And a fantastic goalkeeper, by the way. To me, the best goalkeeper they had these past 20 years, right? I think he's better than Romero. I think he's better than Abodanzieri that they had. Yeah. And better yeah. than Armani. Um, we can go through their fullbacks, right? Uh, the right backs that are probably going to go to the World Cup are Molina from Atletico Madrid, Montiel from Sevilla, as Foyth is injured from Villarreal. Um, I don't know if you have any up. Do you have any updates on Foyth? The right back? I haven't Molina. heard now. So I think the starter would probably be Molina. Molina, yeah. I think it would be Molina. But again, it's what, what you were saying when we started. The drop-off is not big. If Montiel no. has to go, it's still going to be... They're both very reliable defending and supporting the offense, which is what I like about all their fullbacks. None of them are defensive liabilities, right? Yeah. And then Argentina has on the left backs, they have Acuna from Sevilla and uh, Tagliafico from Lyon. Tagliafico, people probably remember him from Ajax. Yeah. I don't know there. I think Acuna would start, but I can also see Tagliafico starting. I don't know if you scouted that the past few games. I think it probably would be Acuna. Really? I saw more Tagliafico. But again, it's hard to know because they were friendly games. So yeah. it's hard to know. Is he just trying them? You know, it might come down to who's in form or who's, you know, performing well in training. It might like even in, switch off from game to game. Like Tagliafico might play. Huh? No, very there, little. Yeah. Very little, if any. If any drop off. The, the now, question for me is this. Okay, go ahead. Give us the center backs. Center backs? Center backs for Argentina, the ones that are likely to be, okay? It'll be Romero from Tottenham, Otamendi from Benfica, Lisandro Martinez from Man United, and Pezella from Real Betis are the probable center backs, in my opinion. I could be wrong. So it'll be between those top three, Otamendi, Martinez, and Romero. Do you think he's going to sit Martinez? I've seen him sit Martinez and start Otamendi quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Otamendi always now that Martinez is at Manchester United, do you think that affects how he perceives him? I think it could depend on the opponent. If it's an opponent that has maybe, like, let's say he's facing Serbia, right? Yeah. He has Mitrovic and Vlahovic up top. They're big Even guys. Even Poland. I think against Poland, he won't Poland, play Martinez. Then maybe he might prefer to have maybe Otamendi to win balls yeah. in the air. Yeah. Uh, I think against Mexico, I would play Martinez. Absolutely. Exactly. So I think... That one right there, for those guys, there's really not that much of a drop-off at all. Again, like you said, which becomes harder to scout because you don't know who they're going to start. So let's say you assume Martinez is going to play, but then he doesn't. So you put a big man there as a target man, and then no longer you have Martinez to exploit that. Yeah. So again, this is and why... And just to clarify, for people who don't know, Martinez is a bit shorter. This is why he doesn't always start. He's, he's not what, great five, against big... 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, yeah, he's very short for a center back. Very short. Yeah, he's probably shorter than Messi or the same height as Messi. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else on the center backs or you want me to go to the midfielders? No, we can go to mid midfield. So the likely midfielders are DePaul from Atletico Madrid that will probably start. Oh, I really one, like. Yes, on the double pivot, also known as Messi's bodyguard. Um, yeah. Paredes from Juventus that I think we both don't rate him very highly, but he's a starter. No. He, he will start. Uh then the other ones, 
some of them are sh- I'm sure, some of them I'm not sure, but I do think he's going to bring um, Guido Rodriguez from Real Betis, McAllister from Brighton, Ezequiel Palacios that plays for Bayer Leverkusen, and then the the one that just got called in and is extremely talented is the young player from Benfica, Enzo Fernandez. That was he was uh, playing for River Plate not so long ago. He will yeah. probably be there. Probably won't play um, more because he won't he's start little. at least. He'll be a super sub. Yeah, I think he'll get minutes here. I was talking to some guys from Argentina, and they were saying that Scaloni could play him, even though Scaloni might not, because he wasn't through the cycle. Well, also Scaloni has basically come out and said Paredes is starting. Paredes is starting every game for him. Yeah. He's like, this is my number one. So when you have him in DePaul, and then if you look at other super subs, they have Angel de Maria, Paulo Dybala. He might be the third super sub if they need a goal, but not the first guy off the bench. Yeah, it's crazy how it's just the thing with Argentina is you look at like the players we just listed for the midfield. It goes back again to what you said. The drop off is not that big. Maybe the biggest drop off here is if they lose DePaul. DePaul might be the big loss in that midfield. But if, I mean, Messi is a big loss. No, no. Yeah, Messi we're going to get to Well, Messi and Lataro might be the two biggest like yeah. drops, right? Not because yeah. of talent, because we're going to talk about Julian Alvarez. He's great, but he's a different type of player. Yeah. Um, but let's go to the forwards, right? So I think he's going to bring a total of, oh, sorry, not forwards, the, the wide players, mm-hmm. the wide, wide players, yeah. the wingers or wide midfielders, right? Uh, one of them is Los Celso from Villarreal, Papu Gomez from Sevilla, Di Maria from Juventus, if he's fully recovered from the injury, Anjo Correa. It does look like he will be. He will be, so but he could be. I said three weeks, so I feel like he might be then. Yeah, but he could he could just pull that again. That happens quite a bit. (laughs) What happens more often in soccer here? Anjo Di Maria pulling his hamstring or Robin going left? (laughs) Aryan Robin going left? Aryan Robin, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to say Giorena sneaks into that conversation for frequency. Not yet. Hamstring. Not yet. <laughs> He's looking like an early Di Maria uh, disciple. <laughs> well, and he is, he does have that Argentinian in him. So he does have that. Yes. Oh, I just complete about Gio. I, uh, I tweeted something to Fede. That's my Argentina source, right? He's a, he works for Oh My Goal, covered Messi. He knows. His, he knows everything about Argentina. And I made a joke about the U.S. or something, and he joked back, like, saying, we should have taken Gio Reyna from you. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the, the wingers and wide playmakers. Los Celso, Papu Gomez from Sevilla, Di Maria from Juventus, Anjo Correa from Atletico Madrid. And I think Nico Gonzalez from Fiorentina will be back, and he'll be in the roster, too. Uh, he's also a wide player. Um, yeah. can play central, too, occasionally, I guess. And then the forwards, which are essentially the center forwards and the second strikers, are the two center forwards are Lataro Martinez from Inter Milan and Julian Alvarez from Man City. They're two yeah. very different players. So, um, so Martinez is a straight up. He's a. Very, they're all both technical, but Martinez is like that. Luis Suarez like center forward, right? He can drop, attack, mobile. Julian is that too, but Julian Alvarez is more of almost, he reminds me a lot of a false nine. That's what he is. Yeah. He's a yeah. false nine. He's almost like a playmaking nine. And Lotaro is more of like a Luis Suarez center yeah. forward. So they're different, right? But it's not like there's a drop-off between one another. It's just different styles. And then yeah. the other two second strikers, which are more the playmakers, it's Messi 
and Dybala. With Messi yeah. to Dybala, there is a reasonable drop-off, regardless yeah. of the level of Dybala, which he's an amazing player. There's a drop-off when you're talking about Lionel Messi. One thing that's interesting, Pete, I don't know if you know, you might notice this when you rewatch it. Go watch this Argentina team with Lautaro and Messi. They play a similar strategy or system, tactical system, to the Barcelona when they had Messi and Suarez. Yeah. It's yeah. very similar. The two are similar. Yeah. Uh, but that's pretty much the Argentina roster. Uh, like we said, they're deep. There's not major drop-offs. They're pretty much strong in every single position possible. And to me, they're title contenders. And one thing to say, did we talk about Scaloni or not very much? Just his tactics? Not much, really. So Scaloni had never been a head coach before taking over Argentina. He never had. He was an assistant for Sampaoli in Sevilla. And then Sampaoli took over Argentina in 2018. Sorry, for the 2018 World Cup. And he was yeah. the assistant for that end of the cycle. And he was in the 2018 World Cup. And I think he learned a lot from the mistakes in that team specifically yeah. uh one of them being so reliant on Messi right and I, I think that's part of why he built the team the way he did so and again Scaloni was also a player during Messi's first World Cup in 2006 he was with Messi in the first World Cup and now he'll be with Messi again in the last World Cup now coaching uh one of the best players of all time and then before we move on Pete because we're 20 minutes into the podcast should I go through our sponsor Yes. So again, guys, thank you very much, DraftKings, for sponsoring this podcast. And NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip-off season with DraftKings Sportsbook is also back. The official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers get $5 on any, sorry, any $5 on NBA bets that you make, you will get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Which, by the way, I also watch the NBA. So download now DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the promo code TBPN. That is TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code TBPN. So if you want to bet on a winning team, you might want to bet on the Lakers. Right, Pete? The LA Lakers. That's probably the best bet. I'm joking, guys. Probably. Look, don't take don't Probably. take our advice. Waste your money on the Lakers, guys. <laughs> don't take our advice. I watch the NBA, Pete. I think you follow it, but I I, I don't I, watch I, it. I, just I check the scores it. every now and then, but I don't really watch. I don't have time. I just enjoy it. I just enjoy it. So if I said to bet on the Lakers, do your own research, but don't forget to use DraftKings Sportsbook TBPN. Thank you, DraftKings, for sponsoring this. Pete, we're done with Argentina, one of the title contenders and clearly the favorite to top this group. The next team we want to talk about, or national team we want to talk about, is Poland. And that one, yeah. you are going to have to help me here and do most of the talking. Yeah. Because if you let me talk, I'm just going to say it's Lewandowski and like 10 other guys. I can talk about the coaching situation. That's about it. Yeah. So I'm actually glad you said that. Because I think a lot of people look at this Poland team and they think that. They think, oh, it's Lewandowski and 10 scrubs. And if you dig a little deeper into Poland, that's actually not true. Poland has a lot of very good attacking talent on this team. And I'll go through some of these guys just to give you an idea. The first one, obviously, which most people should know, is Pietro Zielinski, attacking midfielder for Napoli. Very, very good 10 attacking midfielder. So he's going to be the guy that's feeding uh, Lewandowski in this World Cup. You know, they also have uh, Arkadiusz Milik, who plays for Juventus, mm -hmm. right? He's also Polish. People forget that. Um, there's also Sebastian Zimakski. 
Zimatsky. He is a attacking midfielder also for Feyenoord. Okay, this week he has four goals and four assists this season for Feyenoord. So a good Dutch league level attacker for a good team in the Dutch league. It's not like he's, you know, it's a small team. They also have Mateus Klik from Leeds United. It's a guy not obviously at that same level, but can be useful off the bench. Jakub, Jakub Kieminski, he's a winger for Wolfsburg. Now he generally comes off the bench for Wolfsburg, but he's only 20 years old. He's probably going to be there as well. Then you've got Nikola Zaluski. He is a left winger slash wing back Roma. for AS Roma. A very good player as well. He's their very youngest player, player, right? The youngest. Huh? I think he's. He, I think he's, he's like very young. Yeah, he. Those two, Kieminski and uh, Zaluski, they're the youngest guys to watch. They're like the young players on this Polish team to watch. But there's a lot of attacking talent on this Polish team. Now I will admit it's a very top heavy team. But just to give you an idea of the level of defenders that they, they have. You know, there's Robert Gumni. He's the right back for Augsburg, right? So Bundesliga level right back. They also have Jan Bednarek, the center back for Aston Villa. Now, he doesn't start every game for Aston Villa. He's more of a rotational center back, but still a Premier League level center back. Then, of course, Szczesny in goal. That's going to save them a lot of games. Mm -hmm. They also have Bartosz Berenzinski. He is the center back for Sampdoria in the Serie A. Plays every game for them at center back. So when you look at this team, nine out of the 11 starters are going to be top five league players, very likely. So this isn't Lewandowski plus a lot of scrubs, you know, and some of these attackers like Piotr Zielinski, I think is under going to be underrated going into this world cup, even though he's still a very good player. A lot of people know him already, but you know, you talk about Roma, Napoli, Barcelona, Juve, you know, and then other top five league. This is going to be a good Poland team. In fact, I have this Poland team going through over Mexico. I do not have that. But all right, let's hear your, your reasoning why. Well, my reasoning why is mostly due to Mexico always pulls through the group stage. That's literally yeah, my but this is the weakest Mexico I've seen in I a think, long time. I think I think Mexico and Poland are roughly at the same level, except for Poland has Lewandowski, right? Which is better than any Mexican player. I, I will talk about Mexico right after. I just want to add one little piece of story that happened with Poland. Before they played their UEFA knockout round for the to qualify to the World Cup, uh, their coach, Paulo Sosa, just the Portuguese coach or manager they had, he just abandoned the team like two, three months beforehand to take over Flamengo in Brazil. And then they got this guy that it's very hard to pronounce his name. He coached their U21. It's Yeah, say it, please. Szesla Mikniewicz. Yes, he was in their U21s and he coached them um, Legia Warsaw. I don't know much about him, but he took over. Just He just got this hot potato that Paulo Sosa left him and he got the team to the World Cup. And a fun fact right here, Paulo Sosa abandoned Poland that he could have gone to the World Cup to take over Flamengo and he has already been fired from Flamengo midseason. Yeah, so crazy. Very stupid decision to say the least from the Portuguese manager. Uh, but what? here we are with Poland. And then we have our rivals. Well, let me say real quick about this new guy. He's actually changed things at Poland. So Paulo Souza often played uh, 4-2-3-1 with Poland. Uh -huh. He now has them playing in a 3-5-2 because he wants to get Milik and Lewandowski together up top and then have Zielinski behind them. And so he's betting on those three to be his attackers in Poland. And I think that's going to be very tough for teams. Honestly, as a quote-unquote front three, of course, Zielinski is a 10, but as a front three, that's as fearsome as almost every other team in the World Cup, bar maybe the top three or four. So I think he's trying to find ways to like play to his strengths. So he's going to have Milik, Lewandowski, and Zielinski there all together. 
Yeah, because I guess Poland's problems over the years have always been that they're an okay team, but they have this world-class center forward up top, Lewandowski, and they can't feed him, right? So then everyone goes on and just says Lewandowski underperforms. What he might yeah. be trying to do is, I have a good team, but if I want to be successful, I need to get the best out of Lewandowski. If I can get the best yeah. out of him, because he's not just a world-class center forward. He is the best center forward in the World Cup or the second or the third. Like he's a top three center forward in the world. Top three, yeah, for yeah, sure. So, so when you consider that Holland is not in the World Cup as well, I think Lewandowski's better than Harry Kane. Um, it could argue like Karim Benzema. Is so he he's better like, than Martinez? Lataro Martinez? Yeah. He's a better center forward than Lataro. Okay. A little bit different too. I think he's better than Lataro. Uh, more prolific goal scorer. I think that's the best way to put it. And this will be Lewandowski's last World Cup, very likely. For sh- how old is he? Thirty-three. He's thirty-two. So technically, man, thirty-five, thirty-six. He could. Te- depends how long he plays for. But they strikers, it's hard for them to play in their late thirties. I think he could be here in twenty twenty-six because again, Poland doesn't have that many options to replace him, and he's one of those like, like sort of like Slatan that's like in super good shape. Um, yeah, I think he's already. You look at him for Barcelona this year. To me, it looks like he's already starting to drop off. Minor drop off. But I don't know. Um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I think I think there's a decent chance that he could still be in the Polish national team by then. Maybe not even starting. Who knows? Um, but then Mexico, which they have a couple issues to deal with, right? Tecatito's out of the World Cup with a broken yeah. ankle, I think. Um, yeah. Raul Jimenez is not the same Raul Jimenez ever since he had that. Well, he's also injured again. Yeah, but even if he's back, he's not the same be- since before that injury. That was horrible. Um, Santi Jimenez, that started very hot in the Eredivisie, he's like hot and cold, like a, like a young player, like you would expect a he young also player. also might not even play at the World Cup. No, because Tata loves Funes Mori. Tata right? loves Mori and Martin over him. So he's probably the fourth choice striker. If He might not even be in the roster. If if Jimenez is healthy, he's probably going to take Martin uh, Mori and uh, Jimenez. So their front three is going to be probably Chucky, Raul Jimenez, if he goes, or Funes Mori or Martin, and then Alexis Vega probably as the other. Could be Vega, could be Alvarado. Diego Linus that doesn't play. He doesn't play Diego Linus that much. He keeps him as a super sub. So it could be any one of those guys, but none of them are. And this is why I said, not only is this the worst Mexico we've seen in a long time with a very stubborn coach, but they're also missing key players. Right. And then if you move into that midfield, Andres Guardado and Hector Herrera have carried this Mexico team for 10 years on their back. And Hector Herrera, not the same player anymore. Playing in Houston, not even good in Houston. And he's not even that old. Hector Herrera is 33, right? But there's just been a massive drop off from him. And then, I mean, poor Guardado, he's 36 years well, old. Oh, he's old enough to make a lot of money in MLS. So that's why. Who, Herrera? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Guardado is still playing in Betis. I mean, he doesn't start. He's only started one game in La Liga this season. Um, and he's he starts in the Europa League for them. But he's 36 years old. His legs are gone. It's hard. It's going to be hard for him, I think. He has the experience, which is good. But then look at their other midfielders. Honestly, for me, their two best midfielders right now are Edson Alvarez and Eric Gutierrez. But Gutierrez might not start. Yeah, I, I know. But I think he should, personally. Yeah. I think if you have Gutierrez as the eight, Edson Alvarez as the six. And then maybe Charlie Rodriguez as the 10. That's 
or play a, or play a double pivot with Gutierrez in Alvarez and yeah. let Guardado play almost like a ten. Yeah, and don't make him work. Yeah, because Guardado, we know the ability Guardado has on the ball. So if you don't make him defend too much, he'll be yeah. effective. And then the fullbacks, if he does play Jorge Sanchez and um, Arteaga, I think they should be all right with those guys. Yeah, those two will be fine. Um, Ochoa it's the center the backs where I have questions. The center backs and even the goalkeeper. Are you sure? Oh, it's World Cup Ochoa, dude. Yeah, it's 36-year-old Ochoa who's already dropped off. You see, He said he's from, playing in, in 2026. Yeah, he's crazy. I mean, he might. He might because, I mean, I don't think he should. They have that 25-year-old from Mexico. What's his name? Um, who's been quite good for them. Acevedo? Yeah, it's Acevedo, I think. Acevedo. Yeah. I don't think David, I mean, maybe David Ochoa gets better in the next three and a half years, but he's not reliable by any means yet. But Ochoa is not the same guy he used to be. Like, And this is when you say Mexico always gets out of their groups. This is the worst Mexico we've ever seen. It's an aging Mexico, and some of their best players are injured. Tecatito and Jimenez, fully fit and healthy, are two out of their three best players, in my opinion, or two out of four, if you include Edson Alvarez. With them gone, there's holes all over this Mexico team. And even that back line, Hector Moreno... Nestor Araujo, maybe Cesar Montes. It's probably going to be two of those three. Maybe maybe I'm, Johan Vasquez. I don't know yet, but even Johan Vasquez I'm, kind of failed at Genoa. Do you think I'm I'm just like uh, I'm just feeling guilty because I bantered them so much? So I'm just like trying to. Hey, no, I mean you might be right. I don't think the drop off from Poland to Mexico is huge. Like I think it's conceivable that Mexico could get out of this group. But if I look at these two teams, and Tata Martino is so stubborn, right? He's like Greg plays his four three three never deviates from it, is very easy to scout. They could get out of their group. But right now, I think it's 60-40 to Poland. Yeah, I, I don't like to put much weight into friendlies before the World Cup because we we know, we like I've always joked about this, but even though we're young, we've lived long enough to see that these friendlies before the World Cup mean nothing, zero, nada. Yeah. And Mexico does beat Peru, a team that didn't qualify to the World Cup and even doesn't have their coach anymore. They're, it's a It's a Peru that's like, very different. Focus, Peru. They're looking at 2026. They're not worried about now. And then they played a Colombia team that didn't make to the World Cup, which one can argue they have enough talent to have made to the World Cup, but they didn't. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And Mexico loses to them 3 2 uh, from a comeback win. And Sinistera from Leeds United even scored that game. Yeah. Uh, so what I just said right there backs what you said that Mexico's not looking good. Regardless, I still think. Poland will be the one to get knocked out here. I think Argentina will top the group with seven or nine points. I do think they they could slip a draw here and there. They did draw, just to make it clear, Argentina. I, I praise them a lot, but I do think they draw it a bit too much in qualifiers, right? They had six draws. That's why they finished yeah. so much behind Brazil. They lost no games, but they had six draws. Uh, so well, I can sometimes start- Argentina's a little vulnerable on transitions. That's the only thing. Because they're four four two, sometimes it gets outplayed and not outplayed in midfield, but defending when they lose the ball sometimes is a problem. But only against small teams when they're attacking. Against big teams, they'll I, sit back. I think that's also a little bit because Argentina sometimes over underestimates the opponent. They have that arrogance, right? So they're playing Brazil. They understand Brazil is right here with them up top, right? They're going to match them. So they're much more cautious against Brazil, and you can see it on the results. They don't let Brazil score. But when they play Bolivia, Ecuador, even Colombia, these teams, they think they're so much superior, then you can get situations like that of being vulnerable. But trust me, I don't think that'll happen 
that could happen in the World Cup because they could also think they're so much better than Poland, Mexico, and Saudi Arabia that we could see a draw here and there. Yeah, Poland could um, get a draw with them. Even Mexico could on a good day, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we reach the last team of this group, which is Saudi Arabia, which I don't like to disrespect or diss any team in the World Cup, especially a team that just tied the United States. But I do see Saudi Arabia somewhat as the punching bag of this group. And Poland, Mexico, and Argentina, any team that doesn't beat Saudi Arabia will likely get knocked out, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, they should. I, I have Saudi Arabia losing all three of these games. I, I can't see them. Maybe a draw against Mexico or Poland, max. But I think maybe one point is the max for Saudi. Look, and, and it's all of their players play in the Saudi league. This is a team of guys who... They haven't really experienced a high level of play. And I know you say, oh, they drew with the U.S. The U.S. was historically bad, like maybe as bad as we were against Panama in that game. And that's a whole different discussion. But it doesn't change at this Saudi team. The only good thing about this Saudi team, of course, they have some good players, and I'll go over yeah, them right sure. now, but it's the coach, Herb Renard. Okay. Right? Herb Renard is very good at getting a lot out of these players, but you can only do so much with the players that he has. I mean, their best player is probably Salem al-Dosari. He's the attacking midfielder for Al-Hilal. He's probably their best attacker. You know, Firash Al-Buraikan, striker for Al-Fateh. Their they're, they're wing or left back and right back, that's Yasir Al-Sharani, Sultan Al-Ganan. They both play for Al-Hilal and Al-Nasser, and it's good. They're good, you know, good for the Saudi League, and they do well in AFC Champions League. But none of these guys are playing anywhere near a European team at a, at a decent level. And I just think they get used to the Asian level of play. And when they go play a European team, I think they're going to struggle. I just do. Yeah, I in I think past World Cups are evidence of that because Saudi Arabia always goes to the World Cup with players from their league. That's how it's always yeah. been. And I think they only they only got out of the World Cup group stage once in their history. It was in the World Cup in the United States in 1994. After that, yeah. they've they've actually qualified quite a bit. I I don't know exactly the, all the they, I don't think they qualified to every edition, but they qualified more than they had not qualified. But they never make it out of their group, and usually they're a punching bag in the groups that they're in. And that's yeah. what I look. If Mexico or Poland, any of them tie Saudi Arabia, I think it's very unlikely that they'll go through. Whoever ties them, if it happens, I have them losing every game. Um, but that's it for Group C. Next week we're gonna do Group D, and we're gonna finish on. And guys, look, we already did Group A, and we already did Group B. So if you enjoyed this one, go watch those. What we're trying to do here essentially is give you. I know some teams we go very much in depth. I think Argentina today and Poland and Mexico, I think we went as in depth as anyone can go besides like actual content creators from those national teams. But what we're trying to do is give you a little bit of information about every national team and group. So you go into the World Cup and you can sit with your friends and pretend to be an expert. Yeah. And just know a little bit about, you know, when you turn on the TV and you see these names, you're like, okay, this is one of the key players to watch out for right? It's just to give you that little bit of insight in, into what we're going to be facing. But great. Tack. Guys, don't forget uh, to go and rate us. Uh, give us a review if you're on Apple, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. If you're anywhere else, give us a five-star rating. And share this podcast with any soccer fan, right? As you can see, this podcast, the way we want to go with it is talk about the global game. We do always focus on the U.S. men's national team. There's no doubt about that. But any friend you have that you know that enjoys soccer as a whole, as the global game, South American, European soccer, World Cup, we got you all covered. And as it grows, we'll ramp up more episodes. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. See you next week.